witty, thought-provoking, and uplifting Southern Soul Livestream is a program that you'll invite your friends over to watch every week where you'll learn about interesting guests and get to share in their fascinating experiences. Tune in each Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern to connect with guests from across the generations and to laugh with our eclectic hosts who are as charming as they are talented. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's our host, Calvin. We got an awesome show tonight. It's one of the ones that I've been, you know, excited about, really, really anticipating. One of my not favorite topics, because it's one of the hardest topics out there. And who other do we have tonight but Dr. Albert Samuel, Ph.D., to help us break it down. But before we do, let me just kind of describe the backdrop. Tonight, we're going to be talking about black political theories, as I call it, post-civil rights and the history of political science and the symptoms of injustice. You know, a wise person once said, it is my belief that the true measure of any society can be found in how it treats its most vulnerable members. And Tonight, we're bringing you discussion from a key article that we'll share with you tonight called Toward a Unified Theory of Justice in America by Robert Simmons. Let me read you a quote from this Simmons, I mean, from this article just to kind of get you started. As long as outward facing control is still allowed oxygen to breathe, people will continue their love-hate relationship with liberty. We will love to control the things around us while we simultaneously hate to be controlled by the things around us. If both definitions of liberty are allowed to exist as they do in capitalism's version of democracy, fairness is doomed to always skate somewhere between the two. In our current environment, Fairness is not even something anyone is looking for. If we do not constantly try to get more than what we deserve, we will inevitably end up getting less. If any one of us was to stumble or let go of the rope in this tug of war, then we would automatically forfeit all fairness to someone else. Dr. Albert Samuels is quoted saying, our young people are asking for more nuance and things about history. And he believes that they can handle the truth. Dr. Albert Samuels, people, you know, Dr. Samuels, I am so excited for you to be here tonight, man. Uh, I'm excited for you to break us down, but not only for the be here, First, just tell us about yourself and let's go into this history making day and what's going on today. Tell us about you, yourself, Dr. Samuels, and then let's, you know, let's talk. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I thank you so much for this opportunity, you know, to be here. I also want to give a shout out to my to my very good friend, uh, Dr. Dale Green, uh, my homie. From Shreveport, you know, who in a lot of ways is responsible for this interview uh, taking place in the first place. Um, 
uh, I am a, I'm a, first of all, first of all, I'm a very proud graduate of, of Southern University and A&M College, bachelor's degree in political science. Um, and that, and uh, I get to, to literally to live the dream. I have been able to come back to my alma mater, uh, professor as a professor of political science, and, and currently I chair the Department of Political Science and, Ge and Geography at Southern University A&M College. And so we strive every day to actually give back to the students what was given to us. And uh, so uh, I've been, so I've been, this is, this is, I'm finishing my, I think my 23rd year uh, here at Southern University. And, you know, I'm, you know, I got married, three kids, we got three grandkids, Baton Rouge's, Baton Rouge's home. Um, so I'm, I'm really, you know, excited about, excited, excited about really being here uh, to, to, today. Uh, I feel like this is a, a really a propitious day, you know, for us to to be together here. First of all, I got a message that said my computer is running low. Let me reach in here and pull out my charger. <laughs> good, good idea, good idea. It's always, it's always pull that out moment. My, pull it, out it, my charger because my uh, I've had to use my laptop today a lot more than I normally do. Uh, <laughs> I normally do. Because my uh, my 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 I'm having I'm having issues with my desktop, <laughs> so uh, it doesn't usually get my doesn't usually get, get this much work. This <laughs> much work. That is all right, all right. You know, um, I, I think it's an awesome opportunity. Why he handles that? That Dr. Samuels has had an opportunity to get back and teach political science, and you know, support his department as chair. At his alma mater. I mean, boy, that, that just sounds like a lot of opportunity, a lot of fun, man. I mean, kudos to you because I can only imagine the awesomeness, you know, and I'm pretty sure people are curious about how they can pursue a career or, you know, get on down there where you are and probably enroll. So we'll talk about that a little later, but um, I think you're good now, right? Yeah. 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 We're plugged in. So today <laughs> in history. Yeah, yeah, um, but you know, but you know, today, you know, the you know the we, we saw the you know the confirmation of uh, Judge uh, soon to be Justice Katanji Brown Jackson as awesome. the first African American woman to sit on the United States Supreme Court. You know, and I'm like, you know, I, excuse my French, but it's about damn time. Amen. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, this is an exciting. This is really an, an ex this is really an exciting day, um, and I, I'm I'm sort of I think I think I think last it might have been last because so before last I can't, can't, I can't remember now. Uh, you know, we uh, in one of my classes, uh, you know, I, we we actually played the. I guess the speech that uh, my good, our good, bro our good brother, uh, Corey Booker, did, you know, uh, I, you know, there there were some long excerpts of that speech on some of the cable news programs, but you know, but to get the full effect of what Corey Booker had to say, you had to hear all of it, 
And so I had my class listen to all of it. And to and to and and, and Cory Booker is a you know the, you know the very affable person you know even with, with, with now his Republican colleague who dis, who disagree who disagree with him, and and so he at a but in a very polite but in a very forceful way, the part that they don't didn't show on TV is how he just systematically took apart you know you know Josh Hawley and you know for this disingenuous attack on Judge Brown. Uh, I mean, and in fact, what he did was he even, he quoted from a conservative magazine, the National Review. He said, well, I don't have, I don't make it a habit of agreeing with the National Review. Uh, but even they said that this was a disingenuous attack on the ground. But it's the level, I, I, so I think the point he, I think one of the point he made, maybe, maybe we should, maybe we should take, maybe we should take, take his, his, he took the high road in a way, but he says that with, with all this stuff, I said, says, you're not going to steal my joy. You're not going to steal my joy. Wow. Uh, he, he said, he's talking about how, how exciting it was. You know, you know, as he, he talked about he, how he and Kamala were in the office with the president as they were trying to figure out who should we nominate, you know, and they were kind of like pitching themselves like, like, Mr. President, do, do you know what this means? What this means that uh, how he, he was uh, jogging and said, like, there's a, a, a woman almost tackled him, you know, just, just the joy she felt from seeing someone like her sitting 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 up there sitting up there about to be uh, sworn in you know and, and uh I, I'm just admire, at the time I just admired the the, the 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 intelligence the dignity that she that she displayed despite some very vicious attempts to try to make her look small, to make her look like she didn't deserve to be there. I mean, and, and, and it seemed like the second day, when it was obvious that they couldn't outsmart her, uh, that they just sort of removed any pretense that this was a this was about constitutional theory, and they just kept asking the same things over again, and they were they were getting madder and madder and madder mm -hmm. because they because they were. I think I think it was it was just, it was just designed. Just, let's just see if we can get her, get her upset, because then we'll, we'll we'll say that she's just an angry black woman. Now, mind you, mind you, okay. Brett Kavanaugh acted a complete fool before the committee. I mean, he screaming at the community community. Losing his temper. Uh, I like beer. Still like beer. I mean, do you like beer? Still the Klobuchar? I mean, yeah, but that was okay. Because he's a, he's he, he's a white man. He's a, that, that, that's that's okay. But but if Katanji Brown Johnson had Brown Jackson had had raised her voice once. Or out of control, control once, then she would have been the angry black woman. They would have questioned her temperament. You know, see, we told you. We said we told you. She doesn't deserve to be here. 
and so and, and so I, I think I think in that hearing we saw a, 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 all we need to know about why we have a problem in this country. Um, I mean, they didn't even have the decency to uh, to stay in the chamber for the final calling of the vote. You know, it seemed like it, it, it's not possible that every Republican had a plane to catch at the same time. But you know, I mean, but some of them they, they couldn't they, they couldn't wait to get out of the chamber. Uh, 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 Lindsey Graham wasn't even in the chamber. He we he he, he, he didn't even he, he purposely he didn't even wear a, a, a necktie, which is like a requirement to be on the floor of the chamber. So he had to vote outside the chamber as a as as his own personal show of disrespect. For you know, for you know, you know, for this well-qualified woman who is really was more qualified than almost everybody who else who was on the court at the time they were nominated. Mm-hmm. Nominated, but you know, but 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 enough about them. This is a great day. Today you is know, a great day. A you great. Know day uh, a quote i read earlier so it's on social media when the news hit a young lady says as a black female attorney i am literally crying right now that mm-hmm. kanjanji brown jackson is our first and mm-hmm. you know just the impact that it has on people is so so significant you know so tell me this dr samuels Right. You've mm-hmm. been teaching for some 23 years. You know, you've been, you know, at your alma mater. Tell me, you know, I, I talked about these broad topics. Right. You know, this post civil rights political theories, you know, traditionalism, reformism, critical race theory. W- what is your take on all that? I mean, do you think, you know, it's as big a deal of as people say or, you know, what really are you teaching? What really are, is happening in the classroom? What are some true challenges that you are seeing personally? Yeah. yeah, again, I thank, thank you. I appreciate the question. You know, uh, I, I always, I try, when I, one of the ways I try to start off any uh, black politics class or something like this is, I, is by saying that the, the beginnings of black politics or the existential question in black politics is that, number one, we are the only group of folk who didn't ask to come here. Um, and so the fundamental existential question of black politics or African-American politics or whichever term you prefer is now that we are here, what do we do about it? That is it. And I would... And so when we start getting those debates that you that you mentioned, um, we have not always been of one mind about how we approach that situation. And I think that, uh, to be fair, I think one of the issues that uh, seems to bedevil black politics, you know, and, 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 it's, and it's not. It's not just black people who think this. Other oppressed groups think this as well around the world. So we're we're not sometimes as different as we think we are. And that is, uh, 
there's there's the belief that the fact that we have had this common history of racism and discrimination and oppression, uh, the fact that we have this common experience of that, there's this belief that somehow merely the mere fact that we have had this common experience by itself is an organizing principle. That is, uh, since we all had the same experience, that somehow we should all think alike, and then we actually, and then we somehow act like we're shocked when it's not. Um, but that has never been the case. Uh, we have, we have never been of the same mind as to how we deal with the fact that we were forcibly brought here and oppressed uh, by the fact that we uh, came to a, a country which actually in the, it actually wrote a document that supposedly its first principles are we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and and at the, the the time this was being written, you know, the principal author of it was a slaveholder. And, you know, and, you know, one of the British, one of the, the British men of letters, you know, say, you know, how is it that the loudest yelps of liberties comes from the drivers of Negroes? So that, that has always been with us. And so, uh, so I, I, so we, but, but, but I mean, so we, so I, th I think that's one way we need we need to we need to situate these debates, as a lot of these debates are not new. Hmm. You know, we've always debated. We've we've always had a different different minds now about this. There have always been some among us who have been more whether it's conservative, whether it's traditional. Um, there have there have always been those among us who have kind of had the view that. Basically, this is our country. We ain't going back to Africa. This is our country. It's just as much our country as everybody else's. Everybody else's. We have as much, if more, of a right to uh, to claim this country. Uh, in fact, we even have uh, we we even have co-opted the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. You know. And uh, whether you know whether it was David Walker, mm -hmm. you know who, uh, you know, you know his 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 appeal in some way was a rebuttal to Thomas Jefferson. You know, Jefferson was Tom, the same Thomas Jefferson who wrote the uh, Declaration of Independence. He also wrote another document, like a less familiar with, and that's called the Notes on the State of Virginia. And there's a section in there which he, which he speculates about the inferiority of Negroes, and and, and uh, so so because if, if they're inferiors, when they certainly are not the equals of white men, then I guess they can be justly not included uh, in the we and in, into the we the people. Uh, but then David Walker 
said, well, are we not men? Are we not men? You know what? We sometimes uh, talk a lot about what was the framers' intent. There are, there are whole arguments and schools of thought about what, what was the framers' intent. And it isn't, and you know, and that has its place. But I would argue a lot of times, sometimes it's what it's sometimes there. It was the unintended consequences sometimes mm-hmm. of what the framers put in place that are actually a lot of times more significant because. We can have an academic discussion about what they really mean by saying all men are created equal. You know, surely they didn't mean this. You know, surely they probably they probably didn't. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because whether or not they meant it or not, they said it, mm-hmm. and because they said it, black folk call them on it. Yep. In fact, in fact, every group. Who has who was at some point or another excluded from the, the original definition of we the people has been able to come back to that Declaration of Independence and say why not us why not us you know that's what the women did at Seneca Falls and then mm-hmm. they said look they they just rewrote the Declaration they said all men and women are created equal. And so, and so, and so, and so that's also that's also part of the, that's also part of the story. You know, uh, go go but, ahead. I was, I was getting ready to do a follow on, but go, what were you going to say? And uh, so, yeah, you know, you know, so that's so that's one side of it. And of course, there also there are also those who have also argued that America is so. Fundamentally, and incurably racist. You know that's the nationalist perspective. You know that notion is America will never accept black people as equals. And so, in that sense, integration is probably a waste. Integrationism, assimilationism, trying to reform the system, probably a waste of time. We need our own. We need our. We need our own country. Uh, And so that's sort of the black nationalist perspective. And then, and so there are those who have adopted elements of that, but they and not willing to go the full length of saying we should have our own country, but maybe we should have, we should control the institutions in our, in our, in our institutions. We should be leery of integrating. We should, we should, we should you know, control the economy, economies of our communities. We should, you know, we should have black colleges. You know, we should you know, black other colleges. We the knowledge. You know, we, you know, but you know, you know, have a so that and so that that that's also an, another perspective. And, you know, and you know, and and, and, uh, and of course, there's a lot of discussion today about critical race theory, mm-hmm. <laughs> which we which we have a discussion about too. You know, so but the point is, there's a whole range, a rainbow of ideas about about this. But but it shouldn't surprise us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, as you say, uh, we're, we're not supposed because, to. Because we've always we've always disagreed. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I appreciate that, and and I appreciate it because you know, as I begin to you know chat with you and kind of think, you know, it just makes perfect sense, right? How do you get, as you describe, a whole group of people agree just because they have that one thing in common, right? In reality, mm-hmm. it's natural for us to think differently. It's natural for us to have different perspectives. 
And I like the way you describe the nationalists because that's what I see a lot of, right? The nationalists, it seems like their voice is the strongest, the, the harshest, the, the, hey, we need to do this. And then, you know, I'm all, also curious about, you know, your perspective on the different groups like the traditionalists, right? The Clarence Thomas, the John McWhorter and things like that. I feel like if it was a puzzle, we all, each group has a different piece of the puzzle. I don't feel that they're necessarily wrong. I just feel like they may have a different piece of the puzzle. But I don't know. That's my thought. What's your take on it? Well, uh, again, it's not the it's, I, I point is that it's not the conservatives are wrong by everything. I, I would never say that they're wrong by everything. Uh, uh, but the, the, I guess the interesting thing about at least some of this version of some of the conservatives, uh, conservatives uh, in, in particular, is uh, conservatism as it oftentimes as it manifests itself, particularly in this particular moment, especially among Black conservatism, uh, is primarily aimed at denying. To a large degree, that racism is systemic. Uh, it's essentially saying that you know that black people should uh, move forward on their own individual efforts, and if we're not succeeding, it's our fault. Or and we're engaging in some type of self sabotage, or we're depending on uh, liberal government programs, or, or you know, and and actually, you know, and be, be honest with you, they honestly get more uh, visibility than their numbers in the black community deserve, uh, be, and, and precisely because they are black faces saying what white people want to hear. Um, there is always a market in America for the black person who, quite frankly, is willing to sell out his people. For the black person who is willing to criticize other black people in front of white folks. In fact, it's like entertainment to white people. Um, but I also argue that, but, but, I, but, but I want to say this too. I think we should also say this. That's, this, is, this is not just a, a, a conservative, I call it a hustle. But it's not just a conservative hustle. It's also a liberal hustle. Yes, yes. Liberal hustle. Because, you know, you know, because, uh, for example, when President Obama was president, you couldn't beat Cornel West and Tavis Smiley. They they didn't miss an opportunity to get in front of somebody's microphone and talk about all the things that Barack Obama wasn't doing and how he wasn't legitimately setting the interests of black people and how he wasn't doing this and how he was a he was just he was just simply a, a representative of the of the corporate elite and corporate establishment and stuff. And, and keep in mind, understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying that President Obama didn't shouldn't be criticized. I mean, 
I disagree with Obama on a lot of things, on a range of things while he was president. So I'm, uh, I would never uh, say that he or any politician was beyond criticism. The issue, but it was it was the, the mean-spiritedness of the criticism a lot of times. It was the lack of balance and proportionality to the experience. It was almost, they acted as if Obama was the king and could do whatever he wanted, and he just simply chose not to. And, and, and they seemed to actually forget that there was something called a Congress, you know, that, uh, and the Republican Party that, you know, that, you know, that uh, resisted every single thing he did, even when he agreed with positions that they supposedly believed in for years. Uh, but they, but their Christians had no had no proportionality. Oftentimes, no context in the context. And, they, and 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 by the way, and, and by the way, and who by the way anointed them as the spokesman for the black community anyway? Uh, but so I, I but but you know but you know but but you know but white folks gave gave them, gave them an audience you know and then I can see them on and they be on. CNN or they be on on, on on this program and that program and democracy now, you know. So it's I think it's a it's a bipartisan hustle. Mm-hmm. As far as I'm concerned. Well, you know, th- thanks for that because you know I was definitely thinking about the reformists, right? The Cor- Cornell West, the Michael Eric Dyson, you know, the Michael Browns, and I like the way you also describe. If it is true that the system is so inherently racist. Is it even possible that reforming it can be successful? So you kind of answered the question before I even got to the question because, you know, reform is one thing. And then, you know, I like this part because earlier I kind of joked with you that, you know, they kind of list you as a limited separation philosopher. But then you were like, I don't know. So it, it sounds like that's not necessarily your your take on things, but, you know, with the likes of a Cheryl Cashin, you know, um, Pastor Royal, I mean, Professor Royal Brooks, um, they categorize you with, um, who else, uh, Derek A. Bell Jr. Do you consider those your, your peers or would you consider yourself a limited separationist? Well, you know, I, you know, I, 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 I'd like to resist labels, you know, um, because, you know, they, oftentimes they, they, they limit our imagination, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, you know, because some, sometimes there there are elements that, you, that we can pull from various theories, and of course, I write some of the things I some some of the things that I wrote, some for example, some of the things I wrote in uh, for example is is the Seven Unequal Capital was published in two thousand four. You know, you know, my my views have changed since then. You know, that was that was almost twenty years ago. Um, you know, um, I I. I, I the, the critical insight that quicker race theory has right, you know, is is the structural nature of racism. You know, uh, that you know, I, I I like to analogize it to a house. You know, there's one view of America of America of, of, of American. Uh, Politics that you know racism is is sort of like it's sort of like 
the room in the house that we hide from company. You know, in other words, in other words, uh, in other words, America's history of racial discrimination is the great blemish on an otherwise enlightened democratic experiment. So if we could just get that right. And keep in mind, that's actually the liberal position on race. You know, that's, you know, if we could just get that part right. You know, oftentimes they, you know, we could just get that part right. But they, they, they resist the notion that America is fundamentally structurally racist. We could just reform it some, you know, we can just get that part right. Then we would, then, you know, we can have a, uh, a society that truly lives up to its ideals. Uh, I prefer to think of racism as racism is in the found it's in the foundation of the house. Uh it's it's in the plumbing system of the house. You know, you know, you know, it's it's in the you know, it's in the it's in the electrical system system, you know, it's in the, it's in, it's in the HVAC system, you know, you know, you know, my my dad's a bricklayer, so he was. It's 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 in the it's it's in the, it's it's all mixed in the in in the, with the dirt and the, and the mortar and that, that you, all the things you need to, to you know you know to put the bricks like that. You know that's that's and so if we're going if we're going to address you know, in order to, in order to deal with white supremacy. You need a new house. Mm-hmm. Mm, how? And too often in this country, when America has had to choose between democracy and white supremacy, America chooses white supremacy consistently. You know, consistently. You know, what was the civil, civil war was about? They, they were they were willing to destroy. The union, the whole Republican experiment. You know what? Over. If we if 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 we can't have slavery, it's over. We're out. And they were willing to destroy the entire union over that. You know, I, yeah. I agree with what you're saying about the foundation. Definitely, so much so, you know. And I'll be honest, it was up until around, you know, I thought since I was born looking like this that I understood racism. But only within the last few years, and I read five to ten different books, that I began to see that what you say is so true. It is in the DNA of everything we do. Government, country, black folks, white folks, it is in our DNA. So much so, it's almost close to being impossible. My personal perspective, as illustration of how I describe it, and this is for the good, you know, Christian, small church people out there who know what it's like to have that born again experience. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, what would it look like in this institution, this thing that's so, so inherently racist that it's, it's in the DNA of everything we touch and do. What if we had the opportunity to be born again, mm. to be born again, afresh, anew with everything that we have learned Think about what we learned. I would like to talk about your book. And then I know we got some questions popping up and then we're going to wrap up. But I got a couple questions for you before we go to the audience. So if you're raising your hand, if you're curious, we're going to do three or four questions and then we'll get into our group discussion. But two questions for Dr. Samuels. First question. I want to hear about your book separate, you know, is separate unequal. Mm 
because one thing you said, you said something changed, right? From 2004 to now when you, to you um, published it. And then, you know, I would like to get your recommendation from over 20 years of teaching of watching this nation, this political system evolve in front of your eyes, things happen that we could not have even imagined would happen in our lifetime happen. I would love your thoughts, your hope, your guidance and suggestions. As you say, there's not one silver bullet. There's various theories. There's not people who think alike. I would like to get that part too. But let me go back to the original question. Is separate unequal? This is your book, 2004, about HBCUs. Tell us about the book and tell us about what you learned and how you've grown since that. Tell us about that. Well, th thank you for the opportunity. Um, but actually, this book actually grew out of some, initially some of my experiences actually here at Southern University. I was a student at Southern uh, uh, when we were going through a higher education desegregation lawsuit. Uh, they were attempting to give it about give it about board uh, and actually merge our law school with LSU's and kind of merged us out of existence. And so. I was in student government when that was happening, and so I was I got involved in just researching the issue to advise the president. So one thing led to the other, it became a, a paper for black politics, you know. And make a long story short, it that helped me to firm up the decision to work on my PhD. And while I was going about to go, about to, go to LSU, working on my PhD. Uh, the Supreme Court made a decision in the, United, in the case of the United States versus Fordyce, Mississippi. And, uh, this is, this is, this is, Mississippi. That was the case in which, uh, uh, this is really the first case to deal with, deal with what do systems of higher education need to do to show that they've done enough. And so I, I was concerned about in the desegregation process what happens to black colleges. Must black colleges be merged or eliminated, or as to in order for integration, to, integration of Brown to take place, or do they still have a do, do they have a viable place, or do they can they be defended constitutionally? And so that was sort of what the kind of what the book was about, and kind of walking through sort of the history of these cases and how. That kick in the Supreme Court and, and some of the things it raises, and that's that. And so, what came out of was the idea was that the whole liberal integrationist model uh, seemed to it, it also uh, not take enough stock of the significant contributions of, of you know of, of historically black black, black colleges. It seemed to be premised on this idea that in order for black even to get an equal education. They had to go to a predominantly white institution, and you know it's not it's not either or; it's both and. And in fact, there are things that you know, you know there, you know, and sometimes if, if, if white folk could understand, there are actually some things that we could teach you. Um, so that's that's kind of what the you know. You know uh, where the book, you know, you know, you know uh, where the book has come. I, I think that one of the ways my thinking has evolved, you know, as I started study in, 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 uh, in you know, the longer you started studying the history of America, we started to see that this is 
then we see patterns reoccurring. You know, like 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 we're, like we're occurring, like like what we're the period we're going through right now. We've seen this before. We saw this, we saw this in the backlash of the Brown the Brown decision. We saw this during Reconstruction. You know, in other words, every time Black people appear to be making progress in society, there's a backlash. You know, and sometimes that backlash can be quite actually it's quite violent. Uh, you know, uh, that's what the whole debate about critical race theory is about. You know. You know, cause, because people were starting to have discussions about systemic racism. There were some things that were happening quite quickly, you know, in, in relation. This, this was the longest sustained period of social protest that we've seen since the civil rights movement. And some things were happening. And, and, uh, and, and we started, to, and, and people, and, you know, yeah, people started giving money, to huge, big sums of money to black institutions and, you know, this is now we're starting to, to, to deal with real power, and and that's a threat, and so that's why the, and that's what the pushback is about, and that's what that's what that's, that's what's driving this whole debate about critical race theory. It, it has nothing to do with critical race theory itself. You know, it's you know, but there's they have a vested interest in preserving this idea that racism is simply today a matter of individual bad people who are prejudiced. You know, yeah, we can deal with that, but there's not a systemic problem. If there's not a systemic problem, then there's no rationale for affirmative action. If there's not a systemic problem, then we don't need federal voting rights protectors anymore. Um, and 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 you certainly don't can't have any discussion about reparations or any stuff, because you know. And so, if black people are continuing or at the bottom, it's it's because it's their fault. It's their fault. And they have no one to blame. We've done everything we can do. Everything we can do. Wow. Wow, that, that is powerful. That is powerful. You know, let's go to some questions and we'll give you a chance to wrap up on that last one. So I just want to get um, Tamika, Katie, just a couple questions. We're at the top of the hour, so we don't want to keep Dr. Samuels much longer. But let's give an audience a chance, you know, to ask a few questions. I see we got all kinds of people in the audience. So feel free to raise your hand, unmute yourself, type in your question in the chat. And um, what do we have? I see Shanika. Actually, I just saw, um, I'm going to read this one because I see that one in the chat. And for anyone else, um, you can prepare yourself by typing your question or um, preparing to um, take yourself off mute. Shanika, my question, she says, my question is, how do... A large portion of people, some of us included, still holding fast to support of 45, a.k.a. Trump, um, and his Trumpisms, despite having clear evidence that refutes their beliefs, is it fixable because I've resigned the fact that maybe it is not? So th that's a question, and uh, I read it the best way I could, but at the same time, I think we kind of see where she's going. Now, that's a, a tough question. You want to um, speak to that a little bit, uh, Dr. Samuels? Well, yeah, I think that um, that is that question. You know, people sometimes believe what they want to believe. I mean, I mean, if you think about this, you know what? I mean, you had, I mean, you you had people. And for example, I'm just gonna use a biblical analogy. Okay. 
you know, they have, they have example of, of, of Jesus driving out demons. And the Pharisees see this happening and say, well, it is by Beelzebub, the devil, basically, that he drove out demons. In other words, you know what? You know what? If people are determined to believe something, no amount of evidence will, will convince them otherwise. And, and see, one of the things we got to understand, particularly about white supremacy, uh, white and racism, racism is fundamentally irrational. You know, you know, and so that means it's impervious to evidence. You know, in order to be a racist, you must believe things about the world that aren't true. Number one, number two, you must be willing to continue to hold to those beliefs. Even when you're presented with evidence to the contrary, you must either deny them entirely or you must find a way to explain them away. And that's and, and so it's the same kind of mentality. You know, once people make it decide that this is what they want to believe, if it makes them feel good about themselves, if it validates their worldview or whatever it is, there's no amount of evidence that's going to convince them otherwise. Uh, so sometimes you need to... There, there are people who are generally persuadable, and that's probably where your focus needs to be. <laughs> On the other people, they're going to believe what they want to believe. Great example. We have a question from Dr. Shanice Nelson. Um, feel free, you can unmute yourself. Um, and I see we also got a question from Kevin Jones. We're going to get that one next. So, Dr. Shanice Nelson, do you mind going with your question? Yes. So, my question to Dr. Samuels is that what do you think are the state of black politics? I mean, do we do we although we've always had these varying opinions um, about what black people should do uh, in response to its own political structure here in the United States? Do you believe that we even have a black politic today um, at all, regardless of the fact that we, we have been fractured? Mm hmm. Well, that's a that's a large question that uh, it's kind of hard to address within this framework. I will say this: that uh, uh, we are at a a very interesting moment right now uh, in in our in our in our development. You know, because literally uh, every a lot of much of the games of the civil rights movement are under attack in a way that they, that they never have been before. Um, you know, even despite, you know, we, we celebrated uh, Kandanji Brown's not, uh, successful confirmation, you know, you know, the fact of the matter, when, when, when you think about, when you think about, when you think about voting rights uh, are, are, are under attack, you know, to, to a degree that we haven't seen right now in America since the 1890s. Um, you know, uh, the Supreme Court is probably going is going to be considering either, either, either this term or next term a case that could that could overturn a that could overturn a further action uh, once and once and for all. Uh, and so and so and so in some ways, while some of us uh, and some of us are making advances and you know, in a lot of ways, we are under as a community. Uh, uh, are under attack in some ways, you know, that actually resemble the politics of the last century, the early part of the last century, you know, not the latter part of the last century. Yeah, th th thanks for that. And and just um, 
we're going to dig into that one with the group discussion. So just so you guys know what to expect now is we're going to do two more questions for Dr. Samuels. Then we're going to transition to um, a group discussion. And this would be a good idea to kind of talk about some local, what we call the local landscape type opportunities. So um, uh, I'm going to do two more questions. We got um, Kevin Jones. His question is, what advice do you have for someone running for office for the first time? Challenging the status quo mentally among our people within the justice system. I can give you backdrop on this gentleman if you know if, if you need more for that question. Yeah, yeah, if you, if you, if, if, if that would help, please. Yeah, so so this particular individual is actually running for um, judge, district judge, mm -hmm. um, in mm -hmm. his local community, and um, he's been doing an awesome job. But I guess I can imagine he's probably um, you know seeing some status quo behavior, some status quo mentally, and mm -hmm. what does it take to challenge that or to get people to a different place in the community so i anticipate and feel free uh kevin if you want to unmute yourself and add anything to the question if i'm not if i'm bushing your question but um but there's your opportunity if you want to unmute and add anything to that yeah thanks uh, calvin um i don't know if, can you hear me yes okay yes so yeah the, the basic premise of the question is that i'm i'm running against a, a an incumbent that's been on the bench about 12 years and based on this discussion tonight, it, in my opinion, she's somewhat adopted some of these uh, ideas uh, that African-Americans, we just, we just need to do better. We just need to do better. And, and when you're on the bench and you have that mindset and you're not really acknowledging some of the barriers that our people face within our society, you become overly punitive um, in, in how you treat the people that appear before the court. And so my campaign is just based on like, let's push past this status quo mentality. Let's not adopt some of these uh, racial uh, prejudice views um, in, in how we administer justice. And so, but I, the surprising thing for me is that there's a lot of pushback amongst our own people um, that feel like, that have that idea. Well, I've got here, so you need to do the same thing. I. I I was able to, to rise above, so you need to do it too. And never really want to acknowledge some of the systemic issues that we face as a people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, um, I think that, well, I appreciate the question here. You know, I think that, uh, first of all, I think, first of all, whenever you decide to challenge an establishment, uh, expect some pushback. You know, any, any establishment that's worth it's salt. It's gonna push back, and it's gonna have some. And um, and sometimes you know, sometimes people are gonna push back or whatever it is because you know they don't see a viable alternative, you know, or, or, or what have you. So uh, I tell you, don't be discouraged. Uh, don't, you know, don't take it personal. Take it personal. Um, I just tell you, identify. I tell you, you identify. You know, identify the issues that you believe are important. I think uh, listen to the voters. You know, listen to the voters uh, and hear their concerns and and know and know and know and 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 be their voice and you know you know and and go for it. You know, and I'm not gonna you know and um, 
you know, because a lot of, you know, a lot of establishments needs to be a challenge, and somebody and somebody needs to take it, and you and if you, you know, uh, but to, to challenge an establishment, you have to have a really compelling reason to do so, and so yeah, expect, yeah, expect some pushback, you know, you know, in fact, I was take it as a badge of honor, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know, and you know, and you know, and keep pushing. And I, I don't want to, I don't want to, and I, I don't want to say that you, and I don't want to say this because you know, it sounds like you know, we just, you know, people are running just to make a point. You know, I know I, I, I would run to win. I'm running to win. You know, but sometimes in child, it, it, sometimes it takes more than one time to, to beat an establishment. You know, uh, I mean, I think, I think, for example, I think Cory Booker lost the first time, he, first time he challenged, he challenged the mayor of, of Newark. And he came back, you know. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully your 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 race will turn out differently. Uh, but you know, establishments are established for a reason. Yeah, thank thank you for that. And you know, your your answer definitely reminded me of the term of the Society of One, and it's in that article that I shared. I'll share it again. Society of One being the only black and a white institution, and thus being held up to white standards. It is not good enough for blacks to be themselves. They must be like white Americans, to be racially neutral, to be white or not, is draining to having to be someone else other than yourself. But uh, I'm going to share that article again, but it's a great summary. And I think we're at the end of our question. Dr. Samuels, I want to say thank you for your opportunity for being here tonight, for chopping it up with us. I know you're a busy man, but man, I'm glad that I have favor, you know, also known as I know good people, right? And thank right, you right. for the favor that allowed you to be here tonight. Thank you for Dr. Daryl Green for um, dropping down the favor and letting us know that for you to be here tonight was awesome. Just want to give you a chance to do a closing statement of anything that's on your mind that you didn't get a chance to say. And for the people who are here, hang tight. If you're here for Dr. Samuels, then I know you're going to leave. But we're going to have some guys that are from Tennessee and from Oklahoma who are involved in the local community talk about what's working well for them and we're gonna talk about dr samuels you know when he go and we're gonna like yeah he did it good and you know he brought it down and we'll have a good discussion so feel free to hang tight but before we transition to that dr samuels any closing statements or closing um remarks before we um lose you yeah I, I, yeah again thank you very much for this for this uh for this opportunity you know and uh uh, uh i think the one thought that comes to mind as, as we close um is that uh, many of us have the feeling of kind of deja vu, you know. There's a sense that uh, we we seem like we're fighting the same battles that our parents fought in the in the fifties and sixties. You know, you know, we thought some of this voter suppression and stuff was over, uh, but uh, Frederick Douglass had it right. You know, that power never concedes anything about the man. It, it never has, and it never will. But I always like to tell my students that there's another side of that, and that's that those who have been forced to concede power, because they didn't really give us anything. We took it. We took it. We forced them to concede some rights to us. But those who have been forced to it, they always try to take it back. And they may not always take it back in the same way that they exercised it before. In fact, sometimes they actually find more stickier ways to do it. I mean, 
but we should always but we should always expect the pushback. So we need to stop always asking ourselves why are we dealing with this? Because you know, because because the folks who gave up who lost power they didn't they didn't just go away and just say okay no you know black people y'all right. You know, we've been we've been still living y'all for three hundred years, and we just gonna let y'all have it. That's that's not how this thing works. And um, and my point is that that's not unique to America. That's the way power works in the world. That's just the way it is. Whether it was England, whether it's France, it, that's just the way it is. And so we, I think we just gotta we just need to get our minds around the idea. This idea that even when we make gains, we gotta constantly be vigilant. But at the same time, I will also like to remind you that, you know, that you think about Brown v. Board, we, we always think about Brown v. Board, we, but we don't think about the fact that it took them 20 years to build a momentum for that. In other words, they didn't wait until it was ideal time. They started that campaign during the middle of the depression. When, you know, so, so, so now is not the time to get discouraged. Keep the fight on. Keep the fight going. Awesome, awesome. And you know, thank you. And um, you know, Senator um, Lou Frederick, I'm gonna give you a chance to say a few words. You know, um, we have Democratic Senator Lou Frederick from District 22, Portland. And if you want to just say a few words, uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Samuels, for being here. And we're gonna chop it up. Feel free to hang out. Or you know, get back to running your business. But uh, Senator um, Lou Frederick, any um, kind words you want to share with us tonight? Well, I enjoyed listening to Dr. Samuel. I've got to first of all give my a little bit of my credentials. I went to Southern University Laboratory School when I was a kid um, back, and my father was a professor at Southern University uh, in, um, in in the, in the late in the, in the fifties and early sixties. In fact, that's that's a little research project for one of your students to find out what happened because. He's the one who stood up and said that he was supporting the students who went down to downtown uh, Baton Rouge and got tear gas. And that's why he, we ended up leaving in 1962. Uh, so it's a little bit of a, uh, a little history there. I, and I guess I, 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 I'm, that's a key element for why I'm, I'm on this. I wanted to hear what Dr. Samuels had to say. Uh, we are in the middle of lots of things. I think he's, he's identified it really clearly. We struggle with uh, an attempt to return to reconstruction, to the to the backlash of the uh, following Brown versus Board of Education. You know, I desegregated my high my high school in Atlanta, Georgia, when I was there. So I was one of the one of the eight folks who ended up going into that school. So there's lots of things going on. We really have to understand just what that uh, backlash is about, how we uh, approach it, and how we understand the strength that we that we actually have, and also the strategies that are being used to make sure that we are in fact uh, split up. Uh, there's a real uh, strategy to um, to try to, to break up the kinds of programs, the kinds of support that people have, finding one one thing that we can disagree on and then then make say well you see you 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 disagree with that person so uh that that's another black person you just can't trust them you can't can't work with them on all sorts of things that's a strategy that's a very very effective one but in places like uh, portland where in oregon where we have two percent african-american in, in oregon that's a whole nother story i could tell you but uh we have we we are we have done some things here that have been different when i started in the oregon senate I was in Oregon House. I was the only black person in the Oregon House. There was a black woman in the Oregon Senate. 
um, th this last legislative session that was in February and March, we had 15 people of color uh, in the Oregon, out of 90 in the Oregon House and Senate. And uh, we will have more uh, come the next election because people have decided that they are not going to sit down, sit back and wait to, to make some decisions and understand what the system is like and begin to change things. So that's what we're, that's what we're about. I think we need to keep talking with one another everywhere, not just Louisiana or, uh, or, in, or in Oregon or in, in DC or in, uh, in up in New England or, or wherever. We need to be keep, to keep in mind that this is a long term effort. And if we don't keep understanding that, that this does not happen overnight, we're going to lose that. We're going to lose that momentum, and we need to keep that momentum going. Awesome, awesome. I'm going to say goodbye to Dr. Samuels. Dr. Samuels, thank you for being here with us. Uh, anything you want to say before you disappear? Well, again, I just thank you so much for this opportunity. Again, I want to, again once again, I want to thank my brother, uh, Daryl Green, for making me aware of, your, of this program and this opportunity. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, much love to this, you and, uh, and, um, and by the way, and I, and I, and I love y'all's music. Yeah. Yeah. Well, make sure you come on back. Cause you know, I, I like to play, as they say, some of my daddy's records. So, you know, come right, on back, right. uh, when, when you're less busy and, and, you know, we're going to keep doing what we do, but we're here every Thursday. So thank you. And I'm going to let you go because I know you got a lot going on, but I thank you for being here. And we're going to talk to our brothers on this side. Thank you, Dr. Abersanius. Thank you. So, you know, Senator Lou Frederick, great introduction, great segue, because what you just did is gave us the perfect segue into our next session. So for the people who are curious, for the people who wants to know, hey, similar to what Dr. Lou Frederick said, hey, they're doing some things in Portland. We have Timothy Young from Oklahoma. And I'm curious about what they're doing in Oklahoma. We have LeBron Hill from Tennessee. But let's just go ahead and get started. LeBron, you mind getting started, man? Tell the people who you are, what you do, your background, and you know, just introduce yourself so we can kind of understand. Then we're going to talk about Tennessee, and we're going to talk about, you know, um, Oklahoma. And it seems like we may get to hear some more about Portland. But go ahead, LeBron. Yeah. So I'm LeBron Hill. I'm the opinion engagement journalist here, uh, a Tennessean, uh, based in Nashville, Tennessee. I've been working here for about three years now. Uh, I uh, came from Lipscomb University, which is also um, uh, in Nashville. It's a predominantly white institution. Uh, it's, it was a Christian college, so a lot of different you know, experiences there. Um, but yeah, no, uh, my background is in journalism. I've, uh, I've been doing opinion engagement journalism, opinion journalism since uh, college. My first piece was this very odd piece about the situation uh, at, at Lipscomb called Cotton Gate. Where the uh, where the professor or the the president of the uh, of the school uh, invited all black students to his um, uh, to to his house, and when we got there, and I, I was there present, uh, and when we got there, there was like we got we went to the outside of his house, and there was like a line that like a buffet line of like black shirt typical food like fried chicken, ribs, hot greens, all that stuff, and then there was like a cotton uh, on every table on the outside patio had cotton on. And it was this whole thing. And like, I ended up, but long story short, I ended up writing a piece about that. And that was what catapulted my career in opinion journalism. So awesome. You know, I love your story because when I talk to friends, they say, well, certain people haven't got it. Do y'all realize that cotton and rope is not decoration? 
for when you invite black people to your house. Brother Timothy from Oklahoma, tell us about you, what you do, what's your background and you know where you served. I think you've served in city council. That's correct. Yeah, I'm, I'm Timothy Young. I live in uh, Shawnee, Oklahoma, which is about 30 miles east of Oklahoma City. I'm an educator in Oklahoma City uh, Middle School. And um, here in Shawnee, I, uh, of course, after being educated, I'm also an entrepreneur. So I'm a baker. I have a sauce on the market as well. And I'm definitely a, a community leader. I'm a, I'm a grassroots person. And so here we are, uh, you know, putting together our local community, the former uh, community. And what we're doing today, our community is called Dunbar Heights. And so what we're doing is uh, we have to eliminate a few things to get these things going. Some of the things we have to eliminate is that mentality. We got a mentality that we don't need to support one another. So we've brainwashed to think that. And we have to support each other as Black folks and come together. And we got one block at a time. And so as we start things together and start loving one another and getting rid of the, the hate, the negative mentality that we've been so indoctrinated with for so many years that we can't trust somebody who's dark you are, you know, that type of mentality. But uh, being able to, uh, you know, come up with a game plan to help rebuild our community and rebuild our, our community, you know, we ran into something that uh, uh, hopefully some uh, politics, you know, the land is separated by 25 foot lots. Okay. And, you know, you have a house that's, you know, 50, uh, two, uh, sitting on two lots at 50 feet. Well, the city council changed things up and say you can only build on a 60, a 60 foot lot. Mm -hmm. and, uh, straight up redlining and, you know, in this century, you know, I don't know what it is. But anyway, I've had conversations with the, with the mayor and city managers and, and we come together and, and, and you know, the, the, they're rallying around to, uh, support what we're doing as we regrow our, our community. And so we're having a reunion this year, June 10th, where we're going to be uh, asking everyone to come back home. It's, you know, it's, it's come back together. And so being in our community and just, you know, look at the things that the, the possibilities are there. You know, we know it's a food desert. We have no fresh fruit, you know, within walking distance. Transportation is weak things are, are taking place. And so what we're doing here is, you know, coming together, you know, it is at a time, blocks at a time and find out what the problems are and moving forward, even have an economic plan to, to move along with it. But we have to understand the first thing that we do as black folks, we got to understand. Okay. George Frazier said this best. He said, white folk ain't thinking about black folk, aren't thinking about black folks and black folks aren't thinking about black folks. We got mentality. We must start looking at each other. Our answer to our issues will be to come together. Awesome. So that's what, that's uh, one of the things that we're how we get this thing going. Thank, thank you, Brother Timothy. Let, let me shift to um, back to LeBron and then I'm um, have a one or two questions for um, Senator Lou Frederick. So LeBron, what do you think about the speaker, right? I mean, he, he covered the top. He talked about a lot. And man, you got to be a quick listener or uh, have heard these terms a lot to keep up. What, what's your thought? What's your take on it? And also just give us insight on what you see going on in Tennessee. Because the way I see it, I invited you here because you're plugged in, right? You know, you, you write on political topics. You know, you, you, you manage groups to make sure that people are informed. What are some things that the speaker talked about that really caught your attention? And tell us about the local landscape there in Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, 
so one of the things I thought was you know interesting about you know his you know his his, uh, his, uh, his time was just how you know he, he talked about you know uh, uh, now Justice uh, Brown Jackson's um, you know uh, uh, now officially becoming uh, justice, and so I think one of the things I, I think is interesting that I took out of it, just kind of bouncing off what he thought, you know, was that, you know, Tim Scott, who was a black senator, he voted no uh, to, to her to nomination. And I think that for me, it's a very, it was just very, um, uh, just kind of earth shattering a little bit, just thinking of how, you know, like, you know, you, you heard Cory Booker and, and his, you know, and, and his connection to that and, and how he was able to connect not only just with, you know, uh, uh, Jackson, but also just the fact that, you know, they, they share a, a lineage that we all share a lineage and we all share a, um, uh, you know, a legacy of, you know, as black people. And so I think that, you know, it was just, it kind of shows that political landscape and how we are in a, in a place now that like, there are, um, you know, that, you know, it's kind of a breaking down of the, of like, you know, the thought that there's a black monolith that like there are, you know, other, you know, there are people who may not go, you know, who are black, who may not necessarily want to, you know, lean this way uh, um, where everyone else is going. So I think that's a, that was a very interesting point that I thought in my head once uh, 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 Samuel, Mr. Samuel was speaking. Um, yeah, I mean, so the, like the political landscape for me, or political landscape in Tennessee, you know, right now we're in a super majority. Uh, it's, it's, all, it's Republican ran. Um, you know, and it's, it's, you know, not necessarily say it's a bad thing, but I think for, for, you know, a lot of people, you know, uh, in Tennessee, a lot of black people in Tennessee, they feel left out of the political process, um, here. And I think that that comes into just, you know, the fact that, you know, a lot of, you know, there are a lot of things that have been put in place here in Tennessee that, that hinder things like the, the critical race theory ban, which I'm sure is, you know, it's, it's a, the, many states have, have picked up a, a ban in some sort of, some sort of fashion, um, you know, um, I know that there have been a lot of, uh, I know that in Tennessee, you know, we have a lot of uh, nonprofits that focus on voter rights uh, and, and uh, like Organized Tennessee uh, and Equity Alliance uh, are two that, that come to mind. Uh, they're both nonprofits that focus on um, either getting uh, Black voters registered or just fighting for and advocating for um, uh, voting rights. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Right now, I think that there's just a lot of grassroots movements uh, that are that are taking place, uh, and I think that it shows it's a it's a good sign um, of you know of things to come. Uh, there is this uh, African American clergy collective that was created uh, that is you know a, a coalition of uh, of preachers and religious leaders um, that are going to come together and hopefully through the Black Church create. Uh, more uh, engagement in politics within the black community. So there's a lot that's going on that's trying to go because again we're a super we're in a super majority and you know what you know if you want to get in the, the the deep thickness of of you know politics Republicans have usually you know it's it's kind of a they don't necessarily focus in our communities. I mean that's just I think that's just that, that's just kind of you know kind of been proven throughout you know our American history. Um, and so I think you know there have been again, like, like black leaders and thinkers in, in Tennessee have said, well, how, how can we, how can we do this without, you know, uh, uh, you know, without their help, because they're not trying to help us. How can we advocate for, for our community? So, yeah, that's kind of a snapshot of what's going on in Tennessee. Yeah. You know, thanks for that. I'm curious with something that Senator Lou Frederick said earlier, because in having discussed with you and Timothy beforehand, you guys are very close to your local community. You're concerned 
you're passionate. But at the same time, I heard some good news. You know, Senator Lou Frederick talks about some of the things that they're doing in Portland that's working. I'm definitely curious if you guys have any questions for him, you know, within that whole start, stop and continue of some of the things that is working in Portland that maybe can be deployed in Tennessee or Oklahoma. So any questions that you, Timothy, or you, LeBron, would have for Senator Frederick? I mean, well, for me, I, it's not necessarily a necessarily about. Like, just, I just want to know, like, how is it being, you know, a one of the minority, you know, you know, senators or state, you know, like state people in your in your uh, in your state? Like, how has that been? I mean, I'm not familiar with Oregon, but I'd love to, like, kind of, you know. Well, I got to tell you, Oregon is a is a bit bizarre. It's certainly, I mean, I I grew up in uh, Bat, partly in Baton Rouge, partly in Atlanta, Georgia, also in in Illinois and and Rhode Island. So I spent a lot of time in different places, but mostly most of my school years were spent in the South, in Louisiana and Georgia, uh, in Atlanta. So I spent a lot of time. My father was a, a professor at HBCU schools. Uh, he he graduated from Tuskegee. He taught at Southern. He taught at Atlanta University, Howard central states and uh died just a couple of years ago teaching uh, back teaching it at tuskegee so uh, i had a sense of of that kind of experience there but oregon is a very different beast altogether um just to give you a sense the oregon uh constitution has in it a section when it when it started the state it had in, it in a section that said blacks could not spend more than 24 hours in one place or they would be whipped. Um, and I mean, th that that was part of the Constitution. And, and it was, uh, although it was no longer officially enforced uh, at a certain point, because a lot of black folks moved up here to work in World War II, um, it, it did not, that, that particular part of the Constitution was not officially taken out of the Constitution until 2002, uh, when they had, we had to have a vote to get it out of the Constitution, and a third of the a third of the Oregonians voted to keep it in the Constitution. So um, that's 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 uh, gives you a sense of, of some of the things that have taken place here. So it is a very different different kind of thing. Having said that, it's also very much more of a sees itself often as much much more of a liberal state in terms of people, not necessarily in terms of territory, because there's a lot of territory here. Uh, but you don't. But the you know, as I keep saying, the jackrabbits and the the junipers don't don't vote, so um, it's 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 uh, there's a lot of a lot of of, uh, of territory, but the people tend to be more the, towards the progressive, certainly in the cities, uh, more put towards the progressive uh, bent, um, and so that's why we have uh, all of the all of the the statewide offices are democratic right now. All of the um, uh, we had we had last uh, this session. More than half of the um, of the House of Representatives in the state of Oregon was was women, uh, were, were women. Um, we had um, and we've had so we've had a number of other things. We we don't know what this next election is going to really look like because of all of the effort, significant effort by way of the the national folks and and the previous president to try to make things look as bad as possible. Uh, and so we we we're still we're still reeling a little bit from that as well as just issues in terms of homelessness and 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 food and education issues as well that we're struggling with so we have a lot of things that we're trying to deal with uh here it's a it's a different beast uh than tennessee than where, where are you in tennessee i'm sorry 
Uh, Nashville, 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 and, and Tennessee, and, and Oklahoma. Same, same. You know, they're they're very different kinds of things, but we have some of the same issues in terms of housing, uh, economic issues, and I mean housing, not in terms. We have housing, you know, just having enough housing, but also redlining. Uh, you know, adjusting the boundaries so that you can only have a certain number of, it has to be a single family home. Uh, how do you address those kinds of things? We have those kinds of issues and we have the health issues. I put in the chat earlier a, a an article that I got today. Uh, you have to go way up in the chat there to see it, but uh, there, an article that I got today that talked about the fact that we have um, uh People who are who are having a uh, the backlash is rather is rather clear in terms of people saying you know what do we do be, uh, we don't want to do too much for the for for, for black folks because uh, we're, we're seeing that that, that there there's uh, less than a, a great deal of support for um, for um, things like uh, vaccinations etc and and we we've, we've had that as an issue and I I mean you can you can take a look at it but that's the kind of stuff that we're that we're that we're struggling with. We we did, however, manage to get a uh, hundred of uh, we no sixty two million dollars um, designated to um, to the um, uh, to to go to just black folks in the state of Oregon um, during the when 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 the money started coming from the federal government because we recognized that a lot of the black businesses, a lot of the black folks, were simply not getting the money. The black businesses certainly were not. Because they didn't have the same kind of long-term impact, long-term uh, connection with the banks, and and so we 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 put together a sixty-two million dollar. Now it was challenged after we had spent about fifty-five million dollars of it. Uh, it was challenged by by a, uh, uh, a one one person who tried tried to attack it, and another person, and they officially got folks to re reassess it. But by, by that time, as I said, fifty-five million dollars had already been sent out to all thirty-six counties in the state. And we were able to really make make a, a case not only for uh, financial assistance but also health care and other things. And we're still in the process of doing that. We got a lot of things changed uh, in terms of public safety. Uh, a lot of the bills that I began working on, and this goes back to something that Dr. Samuels mentioned too. A lot of the bills that I started working on in 2010 uh, finally passed in 2020 in special sessions in 2020. Uh, in, two, in 2021, we we managed to get bills uh, in, regarding uh, public safety, uh, police accountability issues. Uh, all of those things suddenly we were able to pass because we had demonstrations here, and because folks began to recognize that this was a this was, folks were not stopping to uh, this was not going to be a one-time situation, and that started to make a difference. We're still passing bills, and I actually I'll I'll find the uh, uh, the the link, and I'll, I'll send that to you, of some of the bills that we managed to pass in what we call the BIPOC caucus. But it took a while, and it took a lot of folks working together. And, you know, my my district uh, is uh, does not have a large, it has a large larger black population than any of the other districts in the state, but it's not that large generally. Uh, and, and, a lot of, and a lot of gentrification has moved a lot of folks out of my district um, uh, to other places. So, we, it's, it's not a matter of having a black majority uh, in, by any means. There's no black majority uh, anywhere. Uh, it's a matter of getting people, the neighbors and others, to acknowledge that these are issues that, uh, that I, long ago I was told, you know, when, when, uh, when white folks sneeze, black folks get pneumonia. 
Um, I mean, that's the kind of thing that we began to make that, that point to a lot of the folks who are here. And that includes, you know, in education, it includes health care. Uh, you were talking, I think, uh, Mr. Young, you were talking about the, um, uh, the, the uh, uh, food deserts. We, we began to work on that by way of just going, we knew that we had, um, we, we knew that we had um, uh, convenience stores that were, in, that were in the black community. And many of those convenience stores had only lemons and, and, and limes for drinks and everything in the convenience stores. So we went in, as a county, we went in and we, um, we asked if we could put in a refrigerator uh, unit if, and, and, and if we put a refrigerator unit, we paid for a refrigerator unit, would they put, um, would, would they put non, would they put non-perishable or perishable foods in that, in that unit? Something that was fresh food in that unit. And they, they began to do that. So we now have that in a lot of the sections of, of the city, uh, because, because we still didn't get, you know, the big, uh, supermarkets necessarily to move in. But they still, they are able to get some fresh food because of that kind of thing. So we had to try to find novel ways to get around and, and make some changes that way. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Senator Lou Frederick. You know, I want to read a summary to kind of sum us up. And Timothy, think about if you have um, one more question. But I want to read this in, um, as we close because it's a good backdrop. As it closes out tonight, and it's a quote from an article I sent you guys Malcolm X, subbed up, Malcolm X summed up conservative thinking in this way. He says certain Americans, well, I put certain, but white Americans. I put certain because I know it's more than white Americans. Do not try to eliminate evil because it's evil or because it's illegal or because it's immoral. They eliminate it only when it threatens their existence. When one is on top, it is only natural they would attempt to remain there by any means necessary. And when one is on the bottom, it is only natural that they would negotiate for some measure of fairness. But you see, in capitalism's version of democracy, no one is really looking for fairness. However, they are looking for more. Even those who have accumulated more than more wealth than a 60, 160 million of their fellow citizens combined, still wake up every morning trying to figure out how they can get even more. So since nothing is gonna curve our innate drive for more, the question then becomes whether to continue driving it down the path of an ever-widening disparity or to begin steering it towards some more, more inclusive emerging future for us all. I want to thank y'all for being here tonight. Thank you, my brother, Timothy. Thank you, Senator Lou Frederick for dropping in. Thank you, LeBron, for letting us know what's happening in your area. Thank you, Southern Soul audience. Look forward to talking to you guys again. And as y'all know, I'm going to play a few of my daddy's records because that's how I relax and release from the evening, but it's been an awesome session. I look forward to seeing you guys soon and talk to you soon.
Thank you for joining us at Southern Soul Livestream Talk Show. Join us weekly at soullivestream.com. If you're joining us live, we'll take a quick music break and then come back for discussion with the audience.